Kids, in, any of you in here, do any of your parents get lost when they're driving sometimes? Are any of your parents directionally challenged? Olivia? Really? Who are you going to speak? Oh, you're speaking to mommy. Good. <laughs> All right. Anyone else other than the first row here? Well, Ellie, you, which one of your parents directionally challenged? Your mom? Okay. Right. Any dads in here? Well, I'm going to tell a story about myself. As you'll see here, there's a picture of one of the signs in Atlanta, whoever the genius was that decided, let's make two major interstates merge together in the middle of a major metropolitan area. I don't know who that was. But in downtown Atlanta, you got the, where the interstates merge. And one time, my family and I were heading to the beach. And if I recall correctly, we were going to meet your parents, right, Heather? So we had a schedule, what time we were planning on being there to meet them. And uh, we, someone had allowed us to, to stay in their um, their condo in Destin, I think it was. It's a Panama City. See, I'm, I'm also, I also challenge when it comes to memory. But anyway, so we're heading to Panama City. And honestly, I have no idea right now. This may be part of the problem. I don't know which one of those two interstates actually goes that direction. But for the sake of the story, here's how it goes. We were going um, through downtown Atlanta. And um, apparently, I didn't pay close attention to the signs. And I got on one of the, either 75 or 85, I don't know which one it is, and was going for quite a ways without realizing I was on the wrong road. And everyone's just napping and everything. And I'm not even paying attention. I'm just driving. I'm enjoying whatever songs I'm listening to. And Heather wakes up and she looks and kind of squints her eyes at one of the signs that goes by. And if I'm recalling it correctly, she asks the question, are we supposed to be on Interstate 85? Now, which one goes to Panama City? 85, okay. Are we supposed to be on Interstate 75? I said, we're not on Interstate 75. We're on 85. She goes, no, that sign back there said Interstate 75. I said, are you sure? So I start looking for signs. And sure enough, the next time we see one of the interstate signs, it said I-75. And we get out the map. This is before we owned a GPS. Get out the map and figure out where on earth we are. And we realize we are a good hour and a half, two hours, Heather's saying, off course. I think it was only 30 minutes off course. Uh, we're off course by some sort of time measurement. And... So we had to cut across to the other interstate and get back on the right road. But had I simply been looking at the signs and paying attention to the signs that were whizzing by me for that whole hour and a half that we were on the wrong road, I would have discovered that something was wrong. As we continue to march through this series that we're calling Grow, and it's just a short series about growing in godliness... I want us to think about holiness in sort of that type of sense. Godliness, holiness, Christ-likeness, the the good deeds that are the fruit of a person who is truly united to Christ. Those are like signs that you're on the right road. Signs that you're on that that narrow path to God. That holiness is, is happening in your life. You see, if you don't see holiness, if you don't see a change in your disposition toward the things of the world, that, that's another sign. That may be a sign you're on a much broader road. And so when we talk about holiness and we talk about growth, I've used the, the phrase, growth is not optional. And last week we talked about holiness is not optional. Because these things happen. Growth happens. Holiness happens in someone who truly is a child of God. 
It is to be expected. It is like a sign that you are on the right road. And so we're going to continue to talk about it this morning. This increased holiness that should be happening in the life of a believer. What we call sanctification. Being made into the likeness of Christ. Now why does God desire holiness? We've talked about this some before. Because he's created us to be his image bearers. And God is holy. Thus the scriptures urge you and I as his image bearers to be holy as our heavenly father is holy. We talked last week how in one sense those who are united to Christ are are declared positionally righteous and holy before God due to the finished and completed work of Christ. Christ lived the holy life on our behalf. But at the same time, the scriptures also clearly speak of a progressive sanctification, a progressive holiness where we are on a, on a journey of becoming more like Christ. So basically, those who truly are Christians are becoming who they already are. Already not yet, we're becoming who we were recreated to be. So to that end... We fight the good fight. We run the race. We toil. We work hard. We put forth effort. But it's gospel-driven, faith-fueled effort where where we recognize that the only reason we have a desire for holiness, the only reason we even are working toward holiness is because he's already at work in us. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13 say, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For... It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So growth is not optional. Holiness is not optional. So today I want to talk about how do we grow in holiness. And we could go to a lot of places in Scripture to discuss how we grow in holiness. But I've chosen to take us to John chapter 15 today. So turn there, if you would, John chapter 15. We're going to read through verse 17. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I want to set the scene real quick before we read the passage. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. Of course, every passage of Scripture is amazing, but some of them really grab you. And this is one of those. It's the famous passage where Jesus speaks about us abiding in Him. It's recorded in John 15, and it comes right after the Lord's Supper. And after Jesus' amazing display of servanthood in John 13, where He washes His disciples' feet... And then the teachings of John 14 where Jesus talks about he's going to prepare a place for us and then he's coming to take us back to be where he is. And, and you remember the disciples were having a hard time comprehending what Jesus is speaking about in, in chapter 14. And then, then they're heading off. They're heading off to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is about to be betrayed and turned over to the Jewish leaders and the Romans. And, and so it's on the way to that garden that we have these words Perhaps Jesus is even stopping along in a, in a we can imagine that maybe he's stopping in a, in a vineyard as he describes what it means to abide in him. So please stand, if you would, as we read this passage of Scripture, John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, reading through verse 17. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, 
unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you. That you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give it to you. These things I command you. So that you will love one another. Heavenly Father we ask now that you would bless the reading of your word. And that you would enable us to hear it, enable me to speak truth about it, and Lord, guard us from error, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now you may be saying to me, wait Steve, I I don't see holiness in that passage. I don't see the word holy anywhere in that passage, but but you did actually, you did. You see, other than that word abide, which appears over and over and over again in this text, I want to bring your attention to another phrase in this text, which is the phrase, bear fruit. Bear fruit. To bear fruit means holiness. Remember, holiness is to be set apart by God. Set apart or to be separate. Negatively, it means to be set apart from something, from sin. We're set apart from sin, separate from sin. But positively, it means to be set apart for something. Set apart unto something. Set apart for the works that God has set aside for us to do. So we read in Ephesians that we are chosen in him that we should be holy and blameless. Set apart from sin. Ephesians 1.4. But then we read in Ephesians 2.10 that we're created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Being set apart, being holy is also being set apart to do something, to do good works. And that's the fruit of the believer. The fruit of the believer is pure living and purposeful living. Pure living and purposeful living. That's the, the fruit that Jesus is speaking of here. So when you hear bear fruit in this passage today, I want you to hear holiness. Abiding in Christ produces fruit. It produces the fruit of holiness. So that begs the question, what what is this abiding that Jesus is speaking of here? Well, the word literally means to remain or to stay. And in this context, it carries the meaning of a constant, continual fellowship or communion with Christ. That's the word I'm going to use repeatedly today, communion with Christ. The picture here that Jesus wants us to get is is the utter helplessness of the branch apart from the vine. 
Thus, abiding also carries with it the idea of faith. Faith in, trusting in, resting in another, namely Jesus Christ. Another to provide our sustenance. Another to provide our health. Another to provide our vitality. The one who is abiding is the recipient looking to another from whom he's drawing. And so, so Christ is the vine. We are the helpless branches. So for the Christian, abiding or communion with our Savior, Jesus Christ, is an act of faith. And only when that communion or that abiding is happening by faith will holiness happen. Holiness will not come apart from a faithful communion with Christ. There's a lot of misconceptions out there about abiding in Christ. As I was preparing this passage, I was reminded of a, of a college um, Bible study that I was in. And, and we got to this passage about abiding and we just, we just read it. I remember us reading it, but we didn't really talk much about what it meant. I just remember the, 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 the Bible study teacher telling us, okay, I want everyone just to close your eyes and abide. Close your eyes and abide. Those were his words. So we closed our eyes and we tried to abide. <laughs> what? And he said, just visualize that you are connected to Christ. And so we, we sat there and we tried to visualize this. And, and it just seems sort of, sort of something sort of mystical, sort of in the clouds. But, but that's, that's, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He doesn't leave us in the clouds. He gets very down to earth. He gets very practical. The reason I chose this passage is because it's very practical. He gets very practical about how we cultivate our communion of faith with him. I want us to see that the fight for holiness is something very practical. I think a lot of us are like, oh, I want to I be holy. I want to I be right with God. And, oh, we just think about it. Okay, I just want to be holy. And, and we think that somehow we can just visualize holiness or it's some sort of mystical experience, like a, like a Jedi mind trick or something. You, you will be holy as God is holy. These are not the sins you're looking for. That's not how it works. It's practical. Real things we can do to see ourselves grow in holiness. So the first thing I want us to look at here, and I'll bring up our notes, the fruit, just say what I've written in your notes there, the fruit of holiness springs forth from communion with Christ and is cultivated in us by, number one, faith-fueled intake of God's Word. Faith-fueled intake of God's Word. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Abiding in Christ is directly relational to his word abiding in us. That's how Christ abides in us, is, is through his word. If we do not have his word in us, we will not be communing with him to the degree we could or should. And thus we will not see the fruit of holiness springing forth. God's word is the revelation of his character, of his nature. And thus the means for us to grow to be like him, to be like Christ, to be holy as our heavenly father is holy, is through the word of God abiding in us. That's the means of sanctification is the word of God. John 17, 17, Jesus praying to his father says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus' word, prayer for you and I is that we would be made holy, sanctified 
in and through the Word of God. 1 John 2, 14. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So the Word of God abiding in these young men that John is writing to. And that's what's enabling them to overcome the evil one. So the key to overcoming the evil one, the key, key to Christ-likeness is God's Word abiding in us. Psalm 119.11, a well-known psalm in verse... I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If our communion, if our fellowship with Christ is real, then we will naturally desire his word. Let me say that again. If our fellowship and communion, if we really are abiding in Christ, we belong to him, we have been grafted into the vine, then our we will naturally desire his word. It won't be a tedious checkoff list. It'll be the upshoot of true communion. So we got those, those sheets back there with all those Bible reading plans. And for the one who truly belongs to Christ, that, that Bible reading plan is not just some sort of tedious drudgery that we just check off. Oh, got to get my Bible reading in for the day. But it, it should be a, a joy Communion fueled by faith. Faith that the creator and the sustainer of the universe has spoken. He has spoken to us. And we have the infallible record of what he has spoken right here. And so we believe that. We trust in that. We rest in the truth that Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that you and I may be complete, equipped for every good work. And what are your good works? Holiness. Holiness. It's the fruit of the Word of God abiding in His people. I, I want to be careful, but I also want to be bold. And I, and I believe, really, that the, the degree to which we desire God's Word just may be, perhaps, the degree to which we truly desire God. Do you, do you really want God? Do you really desire Him? Well, then you, we should want, we should desire His Word. I think we can illustrate it simply from, from marriage. I can't say, if I say to one of you, I love my wife, but I just can't stand listening to her. I don't want to hear a word she has to say. You would rightly conclude that my marriage is not healthy. So why am I to conclude that your faith is healthy if that's the way you treat God? Why on earth should we consider our faith to be healthy if we love God I just don't like Listening to him. And so, the word of God abiding in us, friends. If there's any one thing you can do to grow in holiness this year, 2013, it's simply to take hold of God's word that it may abide in you. I've used this illustration many times with children when I talk about how do we, how do we take hold by faith? How do we take hold of this, this word of, of God and and uh, I'll use my fingers here to illustrate it. We, 
Number one, we need to be hearing the Word of God. We need to be hearing it, right? And so I'm going to try to take hold of this Bible here with one finger, and I'm going to ask you to, to try to yank it out of my hand. Was that very hard? You don't have a good hold on God's Word just by hearing it. It needs to go beyond that. And so I'm going to add another finger. We need to hear it, and we need to read it for ourselves. Now I have a better hold on this Bible here, but... Uh, let's see if you can yank that out of my hand. Yes, it's still not that hard, is it? So we, we hear God's Word and we, we read God's Word, but it has to be more than that. Abiding, the Word of God abiding in us is more than just that. We also need to study God's Word. We, we hear it, we, we read it, and we study it. We want to know what it means. What does it mean for me today? How do I apply this to my life? And so now I've got three fingers on it. And Richie, you'll be the next kid that I need help from, right? All right, and it's still, Richie's still able to yank that out of my hand, so I'm going to add a fourth finger, and that is we are to commit it to memory. We're to memorize God's Word, and that's why, and this is one of my biggest struggles. Personally, I'll just tell you that I need to be held accountable in this area. I, I, want, I want to be held accountable. I want to hold you accountable. I want this church to hold each other accountable, and we're going to memorize those scriptures that we've got on that sheet back there. And so now I've got four fingers on this thing, and, and it's a little bit better. Emma Kate, you want to try to take this out of my hand? It's a little bit harder, isn't it? But you still were able to grab that away from me. And I want to add a fifth element, which really is what we get down to when we talk about the Word of God abiding in us, and that is meditating upon God's Word. And it's the thumb, and it works with all the other ones. It works with all the other ones. It involves hearing it. It involves reading it. It involves studying it. It involves memorizing it. And we chew on it and chew on it and chew on it. And the Lord changes us as we meditate upon His Word. Now I've got a good hold on the Word of God. Olivia, you want to try? Okay, and so I am a Christian going, all right, all right, that's good enough, young lady. All right. Now we're going into battle holding our sword with all five fingers. And so we are to abide in the word of God. If there's anything, if you want to not listen to another word I have to say for the rest of this sermon, and you want to go just forget about what I said in the previous sermons, please, friend, Take hold of the Word of God in 2013. Let it abide in you and see what fruit it'll produce. Christ's Word abiding in us is more than just an intellectual understanding or even retention of Scripture. It has to be combined with faith. We believe what God says in His Word. We believe it. We have faith. You see, in John chapter 5, Jesus is speaking to some Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, by the way, they had much of the Word of God memorized. The Torah was at least completely in their mind. And he says to them, speaking about his Father's Word, he says in verse 38 of that chapter, You do not have his Word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. We, the Word of God abides in us as we believe it. It's not just committing it to memory. You do all five of those steps. Okay, great. Just another checkoff list in your life. No, I, I believe that this Word of God is sufficient for my whole life. And I want it to change the way I live. And so I take hold of it. I believe in it. There is a way to have God's Word in us, but not have the Word of God abiding in us. Because if our hearing it our reading it, our studying it, our memorizing it, or even our meditating upon it is not joined to faith, believing and hoping in the words that God has spoken, then it's useless. And it finds no place in us. Again, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees in John chapter 8 says this, I know you are the offspring of Abraham, 
Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. That's the opposite of abiding. The word of God not finding a place in our heart, in our lives. So we take hold of the word of God by faith. And we cultivate our communion with him. And holiness becomes the fruit flowing out of that abiding, that word of God abiding in us. John 8, 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. But it's not just the intake of God's word. I want to bring up a second point here from this text. And that is that we need to have faith-fueled obedience to God's word as well. Now you say, well, wait a second here. I thought obedience is holiness. But the fact of the matter is the more we obey the word of God, the more we increase in holiness as well. And so faith-fueled obedience to God's word. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. The key to abiding in Christ's love is keeping his commandments. So we've, we've moved from just the word of God abiding in us to us keeping that word. And in that, holiness is manifest. And it produces more fruit of holiness. If the word of God is truly abiding in us by faith, meaning we believe the word, we will be, therefore, doers of the word. What does James call faith without works? He says it's dead. And so it's no surprise that James also says that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Hearers of the word who intake the word of God without actually doing it are people that have a faith that is dead. Keeping the commandments of Christ is what disciples of Christ do. The word of God is is the means of grace to grow us in holiness. We intake it and then we act it out. If you say to me, I just want to be closer to God. This Bible and doctrine and all this stuff, that's great. But I just want to have an experience of God. I want to be closer to God. I just want to to experience Him. Well, then I will say to you, 1 John 2, 24 says, Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. You can't experience God apart from the Word. It's that simple. You may experience something. You may experience emotional... uh, uh, Whatever, I don't even have a word for it. You may experience emotional ticklings because the the music stirred you in such a way. But if the word of God is not going forth and being received by faith, you are not experiencing God. You're experiencing the same thing you can experience at a U2 concert. If If you're going out and doing justice and acts of mercy in the community and that makes you feel really good like you're experiencing God, there is nothing necessarily wrong with that. But if it's not enjoined to the word of God and the gospel going out while you're doing those acts of mercy, my friends, you can accomplish the same thing through the Red Cross. The word of God must be infused with everything we do. If you, you may say to me, well, all this doctrine and stuff is great, but I just want to love, man. I just want to love Jesus. And as one heard one pastor say, you know, I'm not worried about what they teach. They love Jesus, and that's all that's important, right? Just love. Well, John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Doctrine can't be separated from the love of Christ. If you say... Oh, we just need to show God's love in the world more. Not concern ourselves with so much doctrine. Doctrine divides. Let's just just show God's love in the world. I will say, 1 John 5, 
3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. You cannot separate the Christian life, the fruitful Christian life, from the word of God. Did you hear the last part of that last verse I read? And his commandments are not burdensome. How many of you believe that? Do you really believe that this morning? It's the word of God spoken. Do you believe what God says? Because I think most of us look at the word of God as being somewhat burdensome. You see, for the one who is truly and deeply in love with Christ, his word is not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. They are a delight and a joy. So don't see that Bible reading plan as a checkoff list. See that Bible reading plan as an orderly opportunity to feast on God. And that's communion. You see, keeping God's commandments moves beyond obedience for true disciples and becomes something we long to do. We long to do. Does the thought of intaking and obeying God's word produce drudgery in your mind or joy in your heart? The answer to that question is a sign. What road am I going down? Is the Bible, is the intake of God's word drudgery to my mind? Or is it a joy to my heart? That's a sign on the road. That's a sign you need to be looking for. If it is drudgery, you need to be in prayer. You need to be in confession. You need to be asking God to change your appetites. For the one who is genuinely in Christ, adherence to God's word produces joy. Verse 11 says, these things I have spoken to you. That's the word. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. His commandments are not burdensome. They fill us with joy. Fullness of joy. If a teenager in here were to come to me or come to, let's say, one of the men in the church or just seek some counsel and say, you know what, I really want to be closer to my parents. Our relationship is struggling and I really, really, really want to be closer to my parents. Well, I might ask them, are you listening to your parents? Oh, well, you know, they, they, just, they talk about things I don't even want to listen to. No, I don't really listen to them very much. Okay, well, um, are you obeying your parents? <laughs> they don't know what's best for me. I mean, are you kidding me? So you're not listening to them and you're not obeying them. You will never be close to them. If you're not listening to the Word of God and obeying the Word of God, how do you expect to be close to Jesus? It won't happen. I'm amazed in my own life how silly I get. I complain that God hasn't delivered me from a sin or or I haven't seen an increase in holiness in a certain area of my life. All the while, I've neglected to intake and exercise the Word of God in my life. I think you all are probably the same. The key to holiness 
is the intake and the exercise of God's Word. So in our growth chart here, we see that the Word of God is not optional. So we've, we've talked about how growth is not optional, holiness is not optional. Today's title, today's message, simply because it was the best title I could come up with at the last minute, is abiding is not optional. But we could go on. The Word of God is not optional. It's not optional. Faith-fueled intake and obedience to God's Word is not optional if we're truly communing with Christ. But there's more. And I want to bring up the third point today. The fruit of holiness springs forth from communion with Christ and is cultivated in us by faith-fueled prayer aimed at God's glory. Faith-fueled prayer aimed at God's glory. Let me just say real quickly here, I'm I'm doing a high-altitude overview of this passage. This passage literally could take many, many sermons to go through. So if I'm skipping over something, you're saying, Steve, stop there and talk about that. In our series, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ, we're going to get to this passage. And I already imagined from doing the little bit of study on it I did over this past week that it's going to take us probably five or six weeks to get through what we're doing today in one week. So this is high altitude overview of this passage, okay? And I want to bring our attention to these, these spiritual disciplines, if you will, that cultivate in us holiness. Faith-fueled prayer aimed at God's glory. When the Word of God is abiding in us, and when we are obeying it, we are in essence in line with God's will, and thus we can expect great things in prayer. Let me just say this. You cannot have an effective, I mean prayer that changes things. You cannot have an effective prayer life separated from the intake of God's Word. You may have a prayer life It may be a very frustrating prayer life. But an effective prayer life comes out of this abiding in Christ and his word abiding in us. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Faith-fueled. That abiding is an act of faith. We're trusting in and we're reading his word and it's, it's changing us and we become effective in our prayer life. What an amazing promise this is in verse 7. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If we find this promise that Jesus makes hard to believe, it's probably because the blank that that phrase, whatever you wish, leaves in our mind is being filled with things that have nothing to do with the will of God or the glory of God. And we say, will God really give me whatever I, I wish? Our sinful nature always wants to turn prayer into something other than what it's really intended to be. According to John here, our prayers are supposed to be means to produce fruit, God-glorifying fruit. Our prayers, therefore, are prayers that put the exaltation of God and His kingdom as first priorities. Does this mean we don't pray for our needs? Because I have needs, Pastor Steve. Do I not pray for my needs? Absolutely. The Bible tells us to pray for our needs. Give us this day our daily bread, right? But those needs are always subservient to our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our needs always are subservient to that. So our needs are couched in kingdom priorities. So that if God chooses not to meet our needs in order for his kingdom to advance, we can still say, yes, that is my heart's desire and my true wish. 
You see, there's a way your needs not being met for the glory of God. I'm going to get glory out of you, Steve, by bringing difficulty into your life. But God still gets glory. I can say, yes, that's what I want more than anything else. That's the desires of my heart is to see God magnified and glorified. That is an effective prayer life. It's a life of prayer that couches every need, every request you have in God, you get the glory here no matter what. If you choose to answer this prayer the way I want it answered or not, you get glory. You be magnified. We want your name to go forth. We want your kingdom to come. And that's how we're going to pray. And that's faith-fueled prayer aimed at the glory of God. That's what we see again later in the passage, verse 16. This great verse, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Here it is. That you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Fruit bearing, again, that's holiness, is tied to whatever we ask. Okay, God answers our prayers so that we can produce the fruit of holiness and bring glory to him. Remember, we're to be his image bearers. And so as God answers our prayers and we produce the fruit of holiness, his image is being more portrayed in this world and his glory is going forth. It's all aimed at at his glory. Look at the the order here. God chooses us to produce fruit. And in conjunction with that production of fruit, there is an answer to our prayers. Prayers in Christ's name, meaning that they're under the authority of Christ and they are in union with Christ. God longs to see us produce fruit. And thus he longs to answer the prayers that are aimed at his glory. Because our fruit is aimed at his glory. James says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Fruit-producing prayer means holiness-producing prayer. But that doesn't exist in the one who neglects the Word of God. Otherwise, we end up just praying wrongly according to our own passions. Why are our prayers not answered? Because you pray wrongly according to your own passions. Even when your passions are good things, they need to be God things. And they can't be that unless you're in this book. Praying this word back to the one who wrote it. Communion with Christ through the intake and obedience to the word and and through prayer. These are simple means of grace. You may say, all right, Steve, this is pretty simple. Read your Bible and pray. My friends, it's always been that simple. It's always been that simple. First grade Sunday school. Read your Bibles. Pray. Same thing. You want to grow in holiness? Read your Bible and pray. 1 John 3, 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Abiding in him produces holiness. Holiness growing in us as we abide in Christ by faith through the word of God and prayer. But, but how do we know it's true holiness and not just Disciplined legalism or rule following. One word, love. That's the word. We could do a whole other study on just how love and holiness are tied together. It's been one of the things that God's just really opened my eyes up to as I've done this 
preparation for this whole series is that love and holiness are, are connected. I think that's the way we know it's not just legalism and, and that we are very effective rule keepers. There are some people that are very good at organizing their life. I am not one of them. And those who organize their life well can certainly get by with setting up structures that look pretty holy. But the question is, is there love flowing out of the person? Communion with Christ is, should produce love flowing out of us as the fruit. Love for Christ increasing as our awareness of his love for us is increasing. If you keep my commandments, verse 10, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Love for others flowing out of us as our awareness of his love for us increases in us. John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. This is the fruit of personal holiness, love. Love is the ultimate expression of Christ-likeness. If holiness means we're becoming like Christ, well, love is the ultimate expression of Christ-likeness. Without love, everything else we do amounts to nothing, according to 1 Corinthians 13. So love, again, is one of those signs on the road that you're being made into the likeness of Christ and that you are increasing in holiness. These things I command you so that you will love one another, is what Jesus says in verse 17. So let me now try to bring this, uh, this sermon in for a landing. Communion with Christ is the key to holiness. But I want to say one last thing. I, I intentionally today put the cart before the horse. What do I mean? Well, I want to say one last thing, and I want to look at the beginning of this passage and the very end of this passage as we close. Let me just say this. Communion with Christ is not possible if we first don't have union with Christ. Communion with Christ is not possible if we don't first have union with Christ. You can do all you want to do to try to commune with the Lord, but if you're not united to him by faith, nothing's going to happen. The only way we can do these things that Jesus is calling us to do is if we have been grafted into the vine. There is an interesting transition from verses 3 to verse 4 in today's passage. Let me show you by reading the verses. Verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean. Now the tense there. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Here Jesus is using the indicative tense referring to a fact. You are clean. Already, you are clean. It has happened. And then in beginning in verse 4, he transitions and he begins to preach in the imperative tense. Meaning that he begins to exhort us. The only way we can be exhorted to abide is if the fact of our union is set. The key thing we need to see here is that exhortation to abide in Christ is only applicable to those who have experienced the fact that they've already been cleaned. And John here, in, in this verse, but also in chapter 13, verse 10, when he refers to being cleaned, is referring to one who has been saved and, and, and put into right standing with God. Only true believers can abide. There are some 
who are in the church who are not truly part of the church. They do not bear fruit and they're taken away. According to verse 6, they're thrown into the fire and burned. But those who are truly part of the body of Christ have been united to him. Our union has brought us into a new relationship. No longer are we rebel servants. Now we are called friends. Now we're called friends. Unless we dare to think that abiding is something we can take credit for, we're reminded in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Who gets the credit for our abiding? It isn't us. So communion with Christ is only for those who have union with Christ. Union with Christ is the rock-solid foundation for our communion. Only when we have been united to Christ can we truly be dead to sin. Only when we are united to Christ can we truly be raised to walk in a new manner of life. Union with Christ by faith is the key. So growth is not optional. Holiness is not optional. Abiding is not optional. The Word of God is not optional. Prayer is not optional. But ultimately, the gospel is not optional. If we leave the gospel out of our discussion of growing in holiness, I've simply laid down a legalistic foundation that every single one of us will fail at. The gospel. We continue to preach the gospel. We preach it to the lost. We preach it to the saved. We preach the gospel. And next week I'm going to preach on Romans 6, 1 through 11. I read those verses in the, in the service today intentionally. Well, actually, I may not do it next week. Next week's Sanctity of Life Sunday, so probably the week after that. I'm going to preach that passage. I have no idea how long it's going to take me to get through that passage, but I can't wait because that passage is all about the union we have with Christ and the benefits that flow out of that union. I'm looking forward to it. But for now, let me just give you Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. United to Christ. What a glorious thing to consider. We who believe have by God's grace been united to Christ. My friends, do you see the road signs, the marks of holiness in your life? You will only see them if you're united to Christ by faith. And thus you are on the road that he has paved. It's a narrow road. Few go down it. It's a road of Christ-likeness. If there are no signs in your life that you are different than the world, you may be on a very different road. It's a very broad road. It leads to a dead end, a deadly end. Friends, this morning, if you have not been united to Christ by faith, trusting that he alone can forgive you of your sins because he came and he lived the perfect life, he took the wrath of God on the cross, on behalf of all those who put their faith in him. And so you're trusting in him, you're putting your hope in him, you're putting all your weight upon him to forgive you of that sin and also to provide the righteousness you need in order to be in God's presence, the holiness you need. If you've not done that, then then don't listen to anything else I've said today and just focus in right now. You need the gospel. So please don't leave this place today without talking to someone about the gospel. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And pray and we'll close with one song. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for what you have done. For those who have been grafted into the vine, 
There has been a miraculous work done. We were, we were dead branches, lying on the ground, fruitless. Our, our only usefulness was to be gathered up and to be burned. But by grace, by grace, you reached down and chose us. And you grafted us into a vine that had eternal life. And by faith, we are united to Christ. And the grace of God through Christ now is flowing into our life so that we're forgiven. We've been cleaned. And now there's holiness just sprouting forth. Oh God, my prayer is that that is the case for every single person in this room. But I know in a room this size, with this many people here, there are probably some. They've put their hope in chores that they do for you or attendance that they can accumulate going to church or singing the right songs or whatever else it might be. They've never put their faith only in Christ, the vine, and had you, the vine dresser, graft them in and receive eternal life. So God, I, my prayer this morning is that there be anyone here that needs to talk about the gospel with me. I'll be right up here in the front. Lord, I just pray that you would stir people's heart toward that end. And Lord, that we all may respond through our giving of our offering, through our giving of our, the bringing of our prayer requests. Oh Lord, as we, as we write these blue prayer requests out this morning, may we write them with faith-fueled prayer aimed at God's glory. So Lord, I pray that you would be glorified as we close the service today. We sing songs and respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.